Amen. Thanks, Jared. Morning. Uh, hey, everybody. Like Jared said, my name's Trevor. I'm on staff here at All of Life, and I get the privilege to teach today. Uh, so we have been spending the last four months in a sermon series called The Whole Story. Um, it's basically been in, uh, like a high flyover, the whole biblical arc, all the main themes of the story of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I can very sincerely say I understand the Bible now better than ever before in my life. And a huge contributing factor to that has been four months with you guys studying it. Would you agree? I, I hope it's had a similar effect on you. Now, as we transition into the summer, we're going to be uh, moving into a new sermon series. We're going back to the gospel according to Matthew. Was anyone here for that a couple of months ago? Right on. I know for me, I loved hearing the teachings of Jesus. And now coming off of the whole story, having seen how so much of the Old Testament is just teeing up Jesus Christ, and then how he fulfills it, and the role that he has, I'm now so excited to get back into his specific life and teachings and be able to like connect firsthand the life of Jesus with all the promises and the narratives and the themes of the Old Testament that we've been studying. Now, before we get back into Matthew though, or actually real quick, I just wanna point this out. Uh, we made this graphic up, um, it's really cool. So the left-hand side starts off with kind of this dreary, dull gray. And then you can see that it transitions into this vibrant and flourishing color scheme. And this is exactly, or this is an image representation of exactly what happens when Jesus walks into a room. We're going to be studying chapters 8 through 13 of the Gospel of Matthew, which is all about Jesus walking in and bringing the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. Healing people, setting people free of demonic possession, teaching the ways of the kingdom of God, bringing life and flourishing back to humanity. Uh, now, I hope you're excited about that. That's just a quick teaser. But today, we're not yet opening that book. Today, we're going backwards six months to talk about abiding. Uh, we spent four or five weeks uh, this past winter time uh, all focused on the idea of abiding. We drew out of John chapter 15. Now, if you were not here for this, or if you find yourself interested today, today's like a real quick check-in, but if you'd like to learn more, go back to our podcast. It's on the Apple podcast or our website. You can find the sermon series and go through the whole in-depth study. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching that abiding which is not a super familiar word for us, abiding, is simply staying attached to him. It's staying attached to him, having him as our source. It means remaining in him and in his presence. It means being at home, at rest, in the presence and the lifeblood of Jesus Christ. Now, what Jesus also teaches us in John 15 is that abiding, being attached to him, being sourced in him, is the irremovable foundation of all of Christian life. You cannot get rid of it. You cannot replace it. It is dominant. But the reality is I and we probably tend to drift. We tend to lose focus, right? And so what we're doing is we're going backwards a little bit to um, get back to uh, what Jesus was teaching. Now, I want to lay all of my cards on the table. Part of the reason we're talking about this is because it is June. Summer is coming. Now, you guys uh, know that summer is an interesting season in the life of the church. Um, summer is full of fun and joy, fellowship, barbecues, play. Summer is full of the saints of Jesus delighting in God's created world as it should be. And summer in North Idaho can often leave us feeling disjointed and scattered 
been distracted away from our corporate gatherings, away even from our personal abiding in Jesus. Have you ever felt this? Getting to the end of summer and going, I'm just so ready for some rhythm. I'm so ready to slow down. I'm ready to get back into my life-giving rhythms. Some of the reasons we feel this is, A, because we're not lone rangers as Christians. Our goal is not to mature out of needing the body of Christ. We, as Christians, mature into community. We don't mature out of community because we are Christ's body. The New Testament talks about all of the, body, the believers of Christ being his body, unified, many parts and pieces, but together as one. We're also called his bride. We're called his family, his temple. All of those are many parts together as one, signifying a corporate aspect of what it means to belong to Jesus. Now, B, part of the reason we feel that is because Christian living is not meant to be siloed. It's not meant to be lived with a pause button where we just say, pause, I'm going to go do something. Okay, I'll come back and play. Oh, pause, and then I come back. It's not meant to be that way. Christian living is meant to be an integrated, united whole where all of who we are is being transformed. It is an integrated life that we don't take time off of. Now, I want to clarify I, we, as a church, we're not anti-summer, okay? Summer is not a threat. And I'm not asking you to scratch all of your summer plans so that we can just have really full gatherings. It's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, we as a whole church, as, a, as Christians in general, we're pro-summer. We are pro-fun. We are pro-play. We're pro-vacation. We're pro-rest. We are pro-delight. But we are anti-disjointed. Anti we are anti-distracted. We are anti-withering in the words of Jesus. So my question for today is how do we as a community wisely navigate the summer ahead of us? My question is actually put to Jesus himself. Jesus, how do we abide all summer long? Jesus, how do we stay attached to you as our source of life and love and joy all summer long? And I'm asking that question, not only how do you individually stay healthy and vibrant in the summer, but how do we, as God's body, as his corporate gathered people, as his bride, as his family, as his temple, how do we end the summer more unified, more full of love and joy than when we began? Now, to teach about this, Jesus gives his disciples an unforgettable metaphor in John chapter 15. Would you read this with me? This is John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. Jesus begins by saying this, quote, I, Jesus, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that's in me, or every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, my father, the vine dresser, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Now, already you, my followers, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, remain in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it is attached to abiding in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide, stay attached to me. Verse 5, I, Jesus, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and if my words abide, remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so 
you proved to be my disciples. Now, as the Father has loved me, so have I, Jesus, loved you. Abide, remain, stay attached to my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. In all of these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. If I could draw our attention to some key verses that just unpack this really quickly. Verse 5, very clearly, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is clearly saying that he is our source and we bear fruit when we are attached to him. But we wither and dry up when we are separate. Verse 8, by this, your fruit bearing, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you prove to be my disciples. Jesus says that your fruit bearing, by being attached to him, it brings glory to God. Huge importance. Verse, both verse 9 and then skip to 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide, rest in my love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying that he transforms us into people of love and joy through abiding time in his love and joy. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide, remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. Jesus is saying that keeping his commandments is a way of rooting ourselves in his love, of loving like he does. We do the things he does because we love like he does. Now, very clearly, um, I want to make the point that the goal of abiding is not a new set of spiritual habits. The goal of abiding is not a new set of spiritual habits. It's all the things you're supposed to do. The goal of abiding is inner transformation. What that means is that who you are becomes like Jesus. Who we are becomes more and more like Jesus. Now, if you struggle with abiding in terms of like the spiritual disciplines, if you struggle with the spiritual disciplines, here's some hope. When you become like Jesus, through being attached to him, you become the kind of person who spends time in his presence. Let me say that again. The more you spend time with him, the more you become like him. And the more you become like him, the more you are a person who spends time with him. Jesus remained in the presence of his father, not in the struggle that we feel. He loved being with his father. That was a natural default pattern of his life. And the more we become like him, the less of a struggle it is. The more we're just, I'm just the kind of person where I wake up and I want to spend time with him. That's just what I do. It's on my calendar. It's in my heart. And the more we do this, we become like Jesus, meaning we become full of love and full of joy. As we become like Jesus, we begin to do the things that he did. We keep the commandments just like he keeps his father's commandments. And as we become like him, our lives become full of fruitful and good things. Now, here's a clarification then of what abiding is. If abiding is not primarily about the new set of habits you take on, here's where those habits fit into an understanding of abiding. So abiding is ongoing heart-level contact with Jesus. And it is aided by spiritual habits and rhythms. And this results in inner transformation. I want you to notice two things. Your inner transformation cannot happen without the presence of Jesus. 
and without the habits and rhythms he's given us to stay attached to him. It is not primarily about a new set of habits, but those habits create in us a pattern of abiding. Now, here's a really helpful image of the role of abiding in our lives. Um, did anyone notice this yet? So this is a sponge. I use these at home for all sorts of stuff, primarily when I'm doing grout or tile work. And this is kind of an old one that I haven't used in a while, so it's kind of dry and crusty. Uh, if you kind of smack it, grout dust will come out. It's not very fun. Now, this is a parallel for the withered branch that Jesus talks about in John 15. Um, a person detached from the vine becomes withered and dry. Now, I chose not to bring a tree in here, so I brought a sponge instead. Now, when you squeeze a dry sponge, what comes out? Nothing, unless it's a dirty sponge. Now, if I took some water and I splashed just a little bit on this dry sponge, now I squeeze it, what happens? Probably still nothing. Maybe if I really wring it, I could get a little bit of moisture out of it. But if I take it and I saturate it, and I pour the entirety of the contents of this into this sponge, I don't even need to squeeze it. It just drips. I just poke it and water comes out. And when it gets squeezed, water comes out. Now, Here's obviously where I'm going, is that water in this illustration represents love, joy, and good fruit. So my question to us, really honestly, is when you get squeezed, what comes out? Jesus himself says that he is the fountain of living water. He is a well of eternal life. And so the reason that we abide, the reason we stay attached to the vine is that we become so full of the love of Jesus, we soak in his love and his joy so that it drips out of our lives. And that everyone who bumps into us experiences it, and everyone who rings us experiences it. But that does not happen if we are only doing this. What Jesus is describing is that you cannot bear fruit unless you are abiding in me, soaking in me and my love. Remain in me, stay attached to me, rest in me. That is the message of Jesus. Now, again, we don't want to let anything, anything cause us to become dry and withered sponges or branches. And as we remain attached to Christ, we remain soaking in his love and joy. Now, I have mentioned habits, rhythms, spiritual disciplines, right? So let's talk about that for a quick second. Now, um, we tend to create a short list of things that saturate us, right? The short list of things that put us in the presence of God. Uh, usually, uh, those are kind of the spiritual things like praying and scripture and church. Those are the abiding things that do this. Now, that is partially helpful, but it's creating a divide between the sacred, churchy things and the secular, normal stuff. And some of what I'm trying to petition is that having beer with a friend, spending the day at the park with your kids, all of those things, those can be ways of abiding in Christ, though we cannot remove the irreplaceable foundations of Christianity. Now, we tend to live in a tension, right? We tend to live in a tension that's a bit like an equation. We have the sacred spiritual things, and we have the secular rest of life stuff. And we try to run this equation that's like, okay, how much of this do I need? 
so I can come over here and do this. Do you guys feel that? How much of the like morning time do I need so that way when I'm at work, good stuff comes out? Now, some of what I'm trying to petition to us is that the reason that that equation feels like there's so much tension and, and it never works is because that equation is wrong. That is not the equation that Jesus gives us. He doesn't say, get some stuff and then go. He says, remain, abide in me. He, Jesus is saying that there is no such thing as a sacred, secular divide. As we read in Psalm 139, you cannot get away from the presence of God. You can't get away from him in heaven, in the places of the dark, from hell itself. He is everywhere. Now, so what that means is that as a Christian, our entire lives are underneath his rule and reign. Every part of our lives can be done, lived out in the presence of God. So everything in our life is affected by him, and everything in our life is underneath his rule and reign. Here's what that means. Some things in your life need to be cut out 100%. They do not belong in the kingdom of God. Some things in our lives need to be added. They are absent. We need, inarguably, to adopt Jesus' habits. We need to take on his lifestyle. We need to take on his way of thinking. You cannot live in the kingdom of God absent those things. And then there's the rest of a lot of the, the normal life stuff that needs to be brought into a Christian mindset, and it needs to be reimagined. For maturing Christians, there's no such thing as a sacred secular divide. All of our lives are lived under the kingdom of God, reimagined, under the ethic and way of thinking of Jesus of, Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. So what we are trying to do partially today as maturing Christians is we want to create a vision of the kingdom of God that is expansive, that is broad, that is all-encompassing, that takes all of the parts of our lives, even the everyday stuff, even the secular stuff, and brings it underneath a vision of the kingdom of God. Now, many Christians feel stuck we, we read about all the divinely transformed lives of holiness that are described in the New Testament, right? The writings of Paul, the beautifully transformed uh, ways of living in community of, of our inner lives. We read of that, but then we fail to experience it. Do you agree with that? We see it, we read it, and we fail to experience it. Now, according to Dallas Willard, it's because we don't have what he calls vim, V-I-M, and he says it's comprised of three things. Vision, intention, and means. Vision, intention, and means. Now, I'm going to explain this, but this is the backbone of the rest of our sermon. This is the backbone that will carry us the rest of the way. So, quick explanation of VIM, vision, intention, and means. Let's say that I, Trevor, want to learn French. I'm going to change that. Spanish. I like Spanish more. Let's say that I want to learn Spanish. Now, in order for me to be successful at learning Spanish, I need to have a vision of what it sounds like, what it might look like. I need to have an understanding of what my life could be like were I a fluent Spanish speaker. I need to have a vision of what the pathway of becoming a Spanish-speaking person would be. If I don't have a vision for any of those things, I probably will not be, ever be fluent in speaking Spanish. Does that make sense? I need to have a reason. I need to have an end goal. This is what my life could be like, and I need to know how to get there. Otherwise, I'm never going to land. That's vision. Now, I also need intention. 
I could have a very clear picture of what my life could be like, the amazing Latina lady I could marry, whatever that might be. And, but if I never choose to take that path, I'm probably not going to learn Spanish, right? If I say, well, maybe, hopefully I learn Spanish, but I'm not going to change anything, I will not learn Spanish. Is that a fair acquiescence? That's intention. And then it's also means. If I, I could have the best image of learning Spanish, want it so bad, but if I don't have the textbook or the tutor or the app, I will not learn Spanish. I need a means, a program, a method, a process to become a Spanish speaker, right? So that is what um, Dallas Willard is saying, is we need vision, intention, and means. And you could apply that all over the place, but he applies it specifically to following Jesus. He is saying that you need a vision for the end destination of what is the kingdom of God like? What does it look like in the inner thought life of a Christian? If I don't know what that is, I'm probably never going to become that. Or if I don't at least have a vision given to me. doesn't mean you need to create it, but you need to have it, you need to be given it. So you need to know what it would look like to live in the kingdom of God. What would my heart be like if I was living in the kingdom of God? How might my thought life be different? How might my daily activities be different? We need to see what it would look like for someone to give as a Christian, serve as a Christian, evangelize as a Christian. Otherwise, those things are unattainable. We also need to intend. I need to decide. I could have a great neighbor. I watch his amazing Christian lifestyle, but I, I hope it happens to me one day. I'm not going to choose to take any steps. I'm not going to choose to desire it. That will never happen by accident. We will not follow Jesus by accident, or we will not be transformed by Jesus by accident. And then we need means. We need a, a rhythm, a set of practices, something that will aid us in becoming more and more like Jesus, something that will move us forward on that path to life in the kingdom of God. So this is what we're doing the rest of the day. We're spending a few minutes on each of those categories, vision, intention, and means. And we're going to start with the idea of expanding growing, developing our vision of the kingdom of God. One of the reasons that we have, or one of the challenges that we as Christians have so little transformation is we have little to no vision of the kingdom of God. That is a dangerous statement, but let's ask a couple questions. Do you know who you are becoming as you follow Jesus? Do you have a clear vision of who you are becoming? Do we know the kind of things that we will do as we enter more and more into the kingdom of God? Is that vague? I know I'm supposed to give. I know I'm supposed to evangelize. Or is that specific? No, I know it. Giving in a Christian way means this, 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 this. Evangelizing in a Christian way means this, 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 this. I think for many of us, we have a vague sense. Is that fair? We have a vague sense of the things we're supposed to do, but not a specific example that we've begun to apply. Now, we also need to know what it, what it would it feel like if I was utterly devoted to Jesus, not only in the sacred things, but in all of life. What would it look like? What would it feel like if every waking moment of my life I was attached to Jesus, relying on him, abiding in him, listening for his voice, obeying him? Is that a vague picture or is that a crystal clear image in your head? You, your life, waking up in the presence of Jesus. So, some of what I want to do is expand our vision of the kingdom of God to include all the things that we'll do this summer. 
Because the summer is part of the kingdom of God. It is. God made summer. So, quick question. Bring this to your mind. What's the sort of stuff that's on your summer bucket list? Does summer bring any changes in your regular rhythms? I know for me, I'm excited for camping and road trips and lake days and the early mornings now that the sun comes up and the birds come out early. I'm looking forward to long evenings as the warmth just carries into the evening. I'm looking forward to graduation parties. I'm looking forward to walks in the park. I'm looking forward to having a baby. Um, All of those things are part of summer in the kingdom of God. And so rather than living those things out because the kingdom of God doesn't quite cover them, they're outside of the kingdom of God, rather than living those things separately, can I expand my vision of God's kingdom to include them and ask, how might those things be different if they were sacred and I was living them in the kingdom of God? What might my camping be like if I was a Christian going camping? probably wake up and listen to the birds and say, Jesus, thank you. I might get up early to sit around the fire and spend some time in meditation. I might go for a long walk in the afternoon and delight and worship as I just walk through creation in the silence of the forest. I might invite my kids around the campfire in the evening and ask them about their relationship with God. I might intend to be connected to my friends that I invite, to not just consume, but to contribute. I might, um, as I uh, the, the mornings get, uh, wake up early, just in general, the, the sun comes up early. I might use that opportunity to spend extra time with him. Or as the evenings are long, I might invite some friends over for the walks in the park. I might baptize them in the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, what does it look like for me to do all the same things very Christianly? Not boring and spiritual, Christianly. This is going back to the vision of the kingdom of God. Does your vision of the kingdom of God only include the boring spiritual stuff? And so to bring that into the camping trips is kind of a downer. Or are we suggesting that abiding, remaining, attaching to Jesus is the most vibrant you will ever be? And do we expand that and reimagine the rest of life according to that? Now, I'm also asking, God, will you give us a specific vision for this summer? Not only will the vision of God expand to include those things, but will you give me a specific vision of how I live in your kingdom this summer? Part of the reason I'm asking that is often we view summer as a vacation, right? Because it is. But vacations are often a way of detaching, potentially even from our own spiritual growth. And so what if rather than this being a season of vacationing from the things of God, God is saying, no, my vision for your summer is you take ground. I want you to move forward. I don't want you to slide backwards in your temperature and your spiritual investment. I want you to move on to the offensive. Jesus, with all of the extra free time, with all of my my camping, whatever, I want to expand my vision for how I follow Jesus this summer. I want to read the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read the Gospel of Matthew. I want to read the New Testament letters. Now, My goal is not to suggest that you have all of the answers. My goal is to suggest what are the opportunities in front of you. Does that sound exciting at all? Does that sound appetizing? Now, again, my suggestion is not that we have all the answers, but rather we 
begin to desire to expand our vision. We desire to embark on the journey. Now, if you would like some extra resources, I've got more, and I would love to help you, but two specifically I brought so you can look at them is one, the renovation of the heart, where I'm drawing much of this from, and two, habits of grace, where we'll draw more from later. These are up here if you'd like to look at them. I would also love to talk with you. Where are you at specifically? Can we, what can we do to help where you're at? I would also suggest we talk to friends, community members, seek out other authors that you respect. Now, at the end of each of these sections of vision means, or vision intention means, I'm asking the question, how does this connect to abiding? I think our vision of the kingdom of God is connected to abiding because as we remain in the presence of Jesus, as we spend time with him, he will actually teach us his vision of the kingdom of God. He will teach us his vision for our life underneath him. That will not happen unless we are abiding in, remaining in, attaching ourselves to Jesus. Now, that leads us to the next category, intending or wanting to choose to follow Jesus. I've got a probing question. Do you want to follow Jesus this summer? It's almost insulting in church to suggest that you might not want to follow Jesus, right? But the reality is following Jesus is hard. It actually is challenging. And I would suggest every single one of us has far more hesitation than we would like to admit or that we even know. We like most of what Jesus has to say. We believe the gospel, but there's certain hot button things that I like, I get shifty with. Might I suggest Jesus's vision of sexuality in the kingdom of God? Jesus, I want to follow you. Just don't tell me what I can do with my girlfriend this summer. Jesus, I want to follow you. Just don't tell me who I can and cannot be attracted to. Don't tell me how I play this out. Is that a fair thing? Many of us make that. Many Christians make that. Jesus, I want to follow you. Just don't tell me what to do with my money. Or I'll create a loophole for, to justify what I do with my money. Jesus, I want to follow you, but your view of retaliation and loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, I don't think I can do that. Jesus, I want to follow you, but you, you talk about you have to lose your life in order to gain it. And I really like my life. So, so let's leave that aside. What are, the, what are the other things I have to do? Even Jesus' teaching on abiding itself, we might want to leave out. Because Jesus says, Unless you're attached to me always, you will wither and you will not bear God-honoring fruit. And many of us tend to go, I want to follow Jesus. Just don't tell me what I should do with my calendar. Don't tell me what I should do with my daily rhythms. Following Jesus is very hard. He actually calls it dying. So what inner hesitations do you have? What are those resistances? And do you have a sense? Maybe now, maybe it'll come in a minute, but do you have a sense of what those inner hesitations are for you? And are there external challenges? If you want to follow Jesus this summer, what are the external challenges? The family that you live in, the school you attend, the mockery you receive? Is it the overwhelming work responsibilities, the health complications that leave you with no energy? Is it the biological addictions, the sleep habits you've developed over the past several years? What are the external things that infringe on your ability to follow Jesus? Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to craft the perfect desire. What I'm saying is we want to choose him. 
I intend to choose him. Jesus, I know I don't like everything you say, but I want to submit to you. When I bump into those things that I don't want to follow you in, I will intend, I will choose to submit to you. I don't want to, but I want to want to. Jesus, I want to submit to your ethic of sex. I want to submit to your ethics of finances, of hospitality, of simplicity, of evangelism. None of these things would I normally choose, but I want to submit to you. Now, here's something that's helpful. It's a lot harder to choose to follow Jesus when we're in the moment of struggle. Your willpower is far stronger right now than it will be in the moment. So we, we decide right now, I want to choose to follow you. So when I bump up against a thing I don't want, I've already made the decision to submit and to choose to follow you. Because we will not follow him by accident in that moment. You will not get to the moment of struggle and accidentally follow him. We intend to follow him now. And this connects to abiding in this way. By spending time with him, by spending time in the presence of Jesus, we learn to trust him because we experience him. We begin to experience his ethic and his personality and our desire to choose to follow him increases even when we don't like what he has to say. We trust him enough to follow him when we don't like what he has to say. That leads us to the next category. By what means, what method, what process will we be transformed into his image? Now, before we get into this, uh, drawing from Habits of Grace right now, before we get into that, I want to address two things. Number one, abiding with Jesus, the means by which we are changed, are not always additional. It is not always the extra time you need to spend, the extra group, the extra thing, the extra thing that you get crushed underneath. Consider subtraction. Jesus is not only calling me to add, but he's saying, I need you to remove. Okay, I'm willing to give up the way I spend the evening or the morning or the weekend. I'm willing to give up these commitments. Or I'm willing to be intentional. Like I used the example earlier of the camping trip. It's not, sorry, I can't go camping. I've got to do the Jesus things. It's, I'm going to go camping intentionally. And I'm going to go for long walks in the sunshine and give God glory and spend time in prayer while I'm listening to the birds. I'm going to approach everything I do intentionally. Now, the second thing I want to get into is that of all the means you could come up with, all the methods, all the habits, all the processes, of all the things you could come up with, none of them will transform you without the Spirit of God. Jesus says, unless you are abiding in me, you will wither. He needs to be present in everything. He is our means. And so we do not craft a schedule or habits outside of him and his presence and his teaching. Now, let's jump into this. So I've got three quick things and then we'll be done. This is a book written by David Mathis and it's called Habits of Grace. And the reason I've chosen it is because it's so simple and compelling. He basically lays out three categories of means of transfer transformation. And he divides them into three big ideas that we need to hear God's voice. We need to have his ear. We need to speak back to him in reciprocal relationship. And we need to belong to his people. Right? We are a body, a bride, a family, a temple. We are united under the name of Jesus. So here are some ideas from his book, and maybe you can create some more, for hearing his voice. 
we need to hear the voice of God. He has given us his voice recorded by his saints through history. So some ideas to hear his voice is to memorize scripture, dwell on it, contemplate it. We can read scripture and there's differences up on the screen you can see between, um, actually I'll get to this in a little bit, but there's differences of, of scanning scripture and studying scripture. What Mathis calls raking the surface versus digging for gold. So there's a difference between those. I would suggest that when you're reading scripture, you can do it with tools like study tools, online tools. The Bible Project is a phenomenal one, or just friends. Get together with one or two friends and spend time in scripture. Make that a regular habit to hear God's voice in scripture. I would suggest, especially if you want to learn Jesus's vision for the kingdom of God, read the Sermon on the Mount or go back to our podcast from when we did that last year. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's entire vision for the kingdom of God. Now, you could also look at the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew. Those would be some quick suggestions. Um, I would also suggest in um, hearing his voice that you reduce noise. It's hard to hear his voice if he's drowned out by noise. And so simply ask Jesus, what are the things in my life that create static? For me personally, it's podcasts. I love learning. And so I've had to give Jesus my mornings. I will not put a podcast on between when I wake up and when I go to work because it's noise. And that's a solid hour for me where I shower and I brush my teeth and I cook breakfast, abiding in the presence of Jesus. Now, there's some other ideas for having his ear. Um, having his ear means being in a reciprocating relationship where it's not just God constantly pushing information at you, but God saying, no, I love you. Come here. Tell me the desires of your heart. Tell me what you're worried about. Tell me your anxious thoughts. Let me respond to you. Having his ear very simply, though there's more things, is prayer. And I would suggest what is called a first and last. You begin the morning. First thing you do when you wake up, spend some time in prayer. Don't even have to get out of bed. When you go to bed, the very last thing you do is spend some time in prayer. Acknowledge the presence of Jesus in your bedroom. David Mathis also suggests fasting. Fasting is an opportunity where we clear out our desires and our appetites to hone our attention onto Jesus, to give him more fully ourselves. I'm no longer chasing other appetites. I'm turning myself to you. You can also consider journaling as a great way to declutter your mind and put yourself pen to paper. Another thing I would suggest is silence and solitude. Be alone. Five minutes. Gosh, one of the greatest things I would suggest, your lunch break. Just like, don't jump on social media. Just spend 10 minutes sitting in the quiet. Changes my life every time I do it. And with this, I would suggest reducing distractions. What are the things you want to chase in the quiet moments? Remove those distractions. Last category, belonging to his body, his family, his bride, his temple. I would suggest this summer that we do not cut out gospel community. We continue to gather on a regular basis with the saints. I would suggest maybe pursuing intentional friendship. Maybe you're not connected to a community, but you've got one or two close friends you, you love. Get together with them. Pursue the things of God together. I would suggest we prioritize Sunday gatherings. It's the, the rock of our schedule is gathering with Jesus' people. We have multiple opportunities in the summer to worship in corporate prayer, whether that's an official thing or whether it's getting with your friends together in the park with a guitar. Gather for prayer. 
I would suggest that we continue to give and contribute and serve this summer. For this, I would suggest that we reduce, you'll notice there's a reduce for each of these, reduce busyness, reduce commitments, say no to some of the things that we're excited about to say yes to the best things, being transformed into people in God's presence. And our connection to abiding here in this category is that by keeping heart-level contact with Jesus, this is the thing that makes the difference. Heart-level contact with Jesus is the means of transformation. You do everything else but miss heart-level contact with Jesus and miss the whole point. Now, here's how we're going to end today. And I hope this excites you. There are these little cards in the seats in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're underneath your seat, except for you. There's not one under. Reach behind you. Grab one of these. They're in the seat back behind you. Um, We're going to spend nine minutes before we dismiss together. And you're just going to have some opportunity to work through the categories that we've been doing. Vision, intention, means. Now, this is nine very quick minutes, and so this is not meant to be where you design the whole game plan and reorient your whole life. This is an opportunity where there's no other distractions, except maybe your kids, where we just like create some space, say, Jesus, what is your vision for me this summer? Jesus, what is, help me to choose you this summer. Jesus, what are the means you've put before me this summer? So um, here's how the rest of our time together is going to work. Um, there's going to be two songs that we're going to just play in the background. And there will be a slide on the screen that has some, like a quick summary of some of what we've been working through, just for you to like ping pong ideas off of. And there'll also be an on-screen timer. And that timer will let you know how much time there is. And that way you can kind of look up and you're not worried about, is there enough time, whatever, whatever. Now, this is a time of prayer, reflection, of dreaming. And by all means, take this, journal with it, bring it up with your spouse, your community, your friends. Um, This is not an expectation, it's an opportunity. So if you do start this and throw it out, I'm not gonna be offended. Now, here's something I would like to say. Um, While you're filling this out, you don't need to know everything. For me, when I don't have a vision for something, I tend to stall out. I tend to freeze. And so you might not have all the answers to this, but don't freeze. Identify where you feel like you're lacking. Say, Jesus, I don't actually have a vision for my life in your kingdom. Great. Identify that as something you want to build on. Say, Jesus, who are the friends I have in my life? Who are the people I respect? Who are the authors I respect? Who are the church leaders I respect? Who can I go to to expand my vision? Does that make sense? Don't stall out identify where you lack, and move in that direction. So all these questions that we've been working through uh, will be up on the screen here in a minute. Um, Alex, why don't you actually go ahead and do that right now? So it's the same three questions we've been working through. Describe an expanding vision of following Jesus that includes your upcoming summer. This is just think through your summer and ask Jesus, how would you live my life this summer? If you did the same exact summer activities I did, how would you live my life? Jesus, what is your intention? How can I choose to follow you this summer? And then ask, Father, help me see my inner hesitations. What are my external challenges? And weigh the cost. If you choose to follow him, there will be hard things for you that you need to give up. What are the things you can control? What can you not? And then the last category of means. Saying, Jesus, what means have you made available to me? 
What are the, the disciplines I've already learned of? What are the people that are available to me? What are the curriculums, the tools, the habits? And then is he asking you to prioritize something this summer? And then there's those three categories, if they're helpful, to hear his voice, to have his ear and belong to his body. And I would invite you to include secular things. We cannot go without the spiritual disciplines he's given us, but I would invite you to expand your vision of the kingdom of God to include the secular things that could actually be acts of worship and abiding.